We are talking about small groups today. But beyond talking about small groups, before you go, heard this before, I want to encourage you by understanding this. What we're going to address today is truly at the heart from a practical standpoint of what it means to live unstoppable. How to live in such a way where your life takes on a different dimension. And so today we're going to continue this series of messages and amidst a culture that ignores or maybe is indifferent to, despises and even maybe wages war on the church, the question begs, is Christianity done? Will we fade or is the reality something actually starkly different? Is the church, in fact, unstoppable? Not because we are filled with the best and the brightest, although we have our fair share of that, but rather because we trust in the fact that Christ died for us and our hope is in him. And when he said to Peter, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, we believe in that life-changing truth and that it is he And that he alone is the one that makes the church unstoppable. And so, as I said, we're going to turn our attention to one practical aspect of what it means to live an unstoppable life. And that is living within community. Yet I know that as we hear that, some of us might even hear nails on the chalkboard because this is not a new message. It's a message you've heard before. And so what I'd like to do is show you from Scripture today principles, observations that we can see that may not meet uh, the eye upon first glance, but is nevertheless there. So take your Bible, and if you will, turn with me back to the book of Acts. We've been there for a couple of weeks, Acts chapter 2 today. And for those of you who are new maybe to Scripture... The book of Acts is our history of the early church. And in those first few chapters, we see this launch in magnificent fashion of what happens when the Holy Spirit shows up on the scene and God's people open their mouth with boldness and began sharing, preaching the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lives are radically changed. In the chapter two, what happens is you see that first public sermon in the marketplace that occurs. But when we get down in verse 42 and after, you begin to see a little insight on what that early church was doing. What were they like? What was their practical day-to-day aspect like? So with Bible in hand, I'd like you to uh, look at verse 42 and after with me. Well, first look at verse 41. Look at verse 41. It says, so those who received his word were baptized. Now, those receiving the word, were, this was the message from Peter. Those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now, think about that. This is crusade-like mass conversion. 3,000 people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 42 and after explains a little bit about what happened after. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching 
and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and and the prayers. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done among the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as to any who had need. And day by day attending... Uh, the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having faith with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So this gives you a little glimpse behind the scenes of what's happening after these mass conversions. The Holy Spirit is thick among them, They cannot get enough time together, so they go temple to the temple and worship, and they are gathering together. They are meeting needs that each of them have together. They are partaking meals together. They are praying together. They are having deep, intimate fellowship together. Why does it not look like that for us now? Or does it? Well, I'm convinced that there are some little things that have happened even over the past 30 years in our culture that lends itself to American Christians basically saying that was the early church and that's not who we are now. Let me illustrate what I mean by that. In the 1990s, a presidential candidate burst onto the scene with a platform of reform. And a more balanced message, seemingly, and well-crafted wordplay. And born of humble means, the rhetoric played well in the South, in the Bible Belt especially. And then Governor Bill Clinton became President Clinton. And while he was in office, his wife and other contributors published what was considered a most controversial book at the time even leaving a lasting impression to this day on Bible believers, as it seemed to have an affront on what many of us would call responsible Christian living. In short, the title is, It Takes a Village. And the book was a quick hit. But beyond how many copies sold, because it was published by what many believe to be left, far left of supporting family values, the right countered, saying, it does not take a village, it takes a family. And many believers around the world would echo that with a hearty amen. So when I come to the pulpit and you hear you got to find community. you got to get in community. You need community. The church needs community. Actually, what happens to some of us, not all of us, we hear nails on the chalkboard, and it sounds a whole lot like it takes a village. Now, as we come to a text like this and we come to Scripture, our diet here is rich of declarative preaching. Preaching that takes a clear principle and unpacks it. For instance, the eighth commandment, thou shalt not steal, is very declarative 
And then we can illustrate all the ways that you could potentially steal and how not to steal that God has declared it. Those are deductive messages. But do you know that there's another way to study Scripture? It's an inductive method. And an inductive method is a method that not a lot of us understand real well, nor can we explain very clearly. But let me show you what I mean by this. An inductive Bible approach is this. You do not look for absolutely huge, clear principles, but you begin to make observations that are there in the text. And if you take the time to see what's going on in the text, but is not necessarily clearly stated, you begin to see principles that occur over and over and over again that broadens itself out to a general obligation to believers. And I am, believe, I am convinced, firmly convinced, that the issue of God's people getting in community, being and doing life together is one of those inductive principles that are clearly there, but you don't necessarily see at first glance. So let me show you what I mean by this. There are phases that all of us go through to become competent with complex things. Going to small group is not a complex thing, but it might feel pretty complex. So here are the different phases that we go through. So let's just talk, let's talk briefly about them. First of all, there is being unconsciously incompetent. This means that you don't know what you don't know. Probably the best picture I can give this to you in the last 10 years is Facebook. Prior to Facebook, you and I did not know that that was something that we would need. We didn't know that we didn't know it. That means unconsciously incompetent. There's nothing wrong with being incompetent. There's nothing wrong with being ignorant. Stupid is to the bone, but ignorant is a different matter. All right? Ignorant just means you don't know. And so you're unconscious. Don't know it. Second phase is the consciously incompetent. Now, consciously incompetent means this. You know that you don't know. Right now, I know that I don't know how to perform surgery. I know that. And I'm incompetent to do it. Third phase, consciously competent. You have to think about it, but you can do it. Now, if you've been around grace for any amount of time, and you hear us talk about getting in small groups, You are in that phase. And if you've gone, you're consciously competent. You may have to think about it, but you can do it. And then you run to the fourth one, which means that you're unconsciously competent, which means you just do it because you, it's just second nature to you. Like how you brush your teeth, how you drive a car if you're an adult, not a teenager, if you are an adult. And you say, well, Brian, what does this have to do with me? What does it have to do with where you are right now? Frankly, you're somewhere along that paradigm. You may not know it, and you may not know the benefit to you, but you're somewhere along that paradigm. You may, if you're brand new, you may say, I don't even know about small group. That sounds strange to me. 
So what I want to do this morning with the time that we have left, I want to illustrate for you how joining a small group can set your life on living an unstoppable lifestyle. How it really happens, how this is practically and inductively there in the scriptures. First off, joining a small group is a baby step to getting your life in balance. A baby step. Now, I'm going, to be, I'm going to say something right now that you may have been thinking or you may have thought a whole bunch, especially if you sat here this morning and you've never quite found a way to connect with a small group. I'm going to say what you're thinking. And I want you to know all of us, most of us, have thought the same thing. And here it is. It's a big ask to go to small group. There it is. It's a big ask. It sounds easy, but it's actually hard. And part of the reason why it feels so hard is it runs contrary to things that our parents taught us. Listen to this. Don't talk to, don't talk to strangers. Why would you drive to a stranger's house and walk in their front door? That's just bizarre. Why would you do that? I've literally trained in my former life hundreds of salespeople. And our particular, particular paradigm of how we sold in new home construction was selling from a model home. So inside of a community, there are these brand new homes that are fully decorated. And we would park a salesperson inside that model home. Now, it did not take a salesperson very long to f- forget what it's like to drive out to a model home. So I would spend some time with them, helping them relive of what it's like for a strange person to get into their car, drive out to a strange community, park in front of a strange house, walk up a strange driveway and walk into a strange house only to meet a very strange salesperson. And for some of you, that's exactly what it feels like. When I say go to small group, you go, that's strange. I'm going to meet strange people. But the reality is the leaders that sit among you this morning and the hosts that we have are some of, I know this is overused from my mouth, but I can't find a better word. The most amazing, loving Gifted people you're ever going to meet. And they love having people into their home. And what you miss is that right inside your heart is an enemy that is fighting you from getting in your car and going out. Dave Ramsey, his principles for eliminating debt debt in your life has at its core worth the price of the course, worth the price of his books, is this thing called baby steps and why I call this a baby step. His baby steps for eliminating debt and creating wealth in your life and setting you on a course of financially free is something that you should certainly look into if you've never done it. Well, in our world, our big fat thing that we do a lot is accumulate knowledge. 
If, and especially if you come from an evangelical background, we love to get knowledge. Bible is full of knowledge. And Brad preaches and says, without God's word in your life on a daily basis, there's going to be very little victory. There's no question about that. But is it enough? Is it enough? It is not enough and live a balanced Christian life. It is not. You need community. You need it. And this is a baby step to getting your life in balance. You know what it's like to accumulate knowledge. You get great knowledge here. Knowledge is good, but wisdom is better. Knowledge without wisdom is meaningless. It's one thing for you and I to watch a video of how to build a house. It's a whole other matter to build it. So just accumulating knowledge is not going to cut it. You and I need it up close with other people. And this is why we talk a lot about it. Well, here is a great news for you this morning. An amazing thing is happening in our midst. And you probably don't even know about it. Because it's just you. There is an amazing thing happening right here at Grace. We have lots of people who are going to small group for the first time. They've come up and told me. For the first time. We're having untold number of requests to come and investigate groups. God bless you. God is awakening great things in us. And it is baby step number one of getting life more in balance. Do you feel like your life's out of balance? Go to small group. It's a baby step number one to getting life in balance. Number two, what small group will do for you to set you on a course of unstoppable An unstoppable lifestyle is this. Joining a small group helps you grow and change. Now wait, stay with me. You've heard this. But we say it with conviction. It will help you grow and change. And there are ways that it helps you grow and change. Christians grow in community. And living in balanced lifestyle means that you begin moving toward people so you can grow. You say, Brian, there are many ways you can grow. And I would agree with you. Yes, there is. We live in a time where just the amount of knowledge at our fingertips is just untold. But we just happen to hold a conviction here. If you, if you want to know who grace really is, we do hold this conviction that there are many, many good things that you can do. But we have found the best method for growth is within small group. And here's how you can grow. First off, it's going to happen is you're going to help others. You're going to help others. Now, when you look in this passage, an observation with a careful eye can see this. Here are God's people in the beginning that very quickly are sharing life and doing life on life together. When there are needs, they are meeting needs, one another. They are sharing meals together. They are praying together. And when you look at this passage and they say, and, and they were selling possessions and stuff, all you got to do is look at the rest of the uh, New Testament book of Acts and further. Everybody was not liquidating all their assets and putting in a pile. They were, it says they were meeting in their homes. 
But what was happening within here observationally is they're doing life on life together. They're helping one another. You say, well, Brian, isn't that the natural course of what people do together? Actually, no. Do you know the first question that I see in Scripture from the book of Genesis, voice from a man back to God is Cain, after he'd killed his brother. First question from man back to God. Here was the question. God said to Cain, where is your brother? Remember what Cain said? Am I my brother's, what? Keeper. Implying what? I'm not my brother's keeper. And that right there shows you how far wrong we can go so quickly. We are designed, created in the image of God, born again by the Spirit of God to care for one another. And you and I are to be helping each other. The heart of this is that tragedy of what happens when we begin to isolate ourselves. Scripture shows us how we help one another. I've put it in your bulletin, but I'm going to run down them real quickly. You can go look at these later. More than 50 times in the New Testament, there are one another, quote, one another passages about how we are to treat each other. Specific to that, Jesus said that we'll be known to be his disciples by what? The love that we have for one another. Romans 12, 16 says that we're to live in harmony with one another. Romans 15, 7 is that we were to welcome one another. Romans 15, 14, instruct one another, care for one another, serve one another, do not provoke or envy one another. These one another passages form a foundation for how we are to care for each other. And they're there. You can go look them up. I've given you about 10, but there's more than 50. How we're to bear one another's burdens, Galatians chapter 6. How we are to forgive one another, Ephesians chapter 5. Let me just show you. Let me just stop here and get real personal just for a second. Some of you right now sitting in this room, The reason why today is hard for you is because there's a lack of forgiveness in your life. People have done things to you, you don't know what to do with it. And the reality is that you have done and said things that you know that you regret. And you don't know what to do with it either. Small group. Leaders and brothers and sisters in Christ will help you deal with being a person who forgives one another. Who learns how to deal with with hard things and hard lives. Encourage one another. First Thessalonians chapter five is another one another passage. All of us have things that are hard and we are in desperate need of someone to come alongside of us and put their arm around us and encourage us and love us. Small group is a platform for that to happen. 
Some of you sit here today and you go, well, Brian, isn't that what family's for? Sure it is. But you have family. And you know sometimes those that are closest to you often don't see what you're going through, what you're struggling with. Other brothers and sisters are needed in your life. So it will help you to help others. It will also, how you grow is this. It'll allow others to help you. As I say, an inductive method of scripture uh, Bible study, you begin to see that this is not something that's isolated to this young, this, this fledgling group of believers in the, the book of Acts. In fact, what you see all through the Old Testament is without community, the people are hurting. They're scattered. They're isolated. Solomon wrote in Ephesians, uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, he was instructing or illustrating what it was like uh, for travel. And in verse 13, 9, excuse me, verse 9, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, I so desperately want it to be Ephesians, but it's not. It's Ecclesiastes. <laughs> Solomon said, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Do you hear that? If you fall alone, you're in real trouble. Likewise, two people lined and close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. And then he says this, three are even better. For a triple braided braided cord is not easily broken. It is better to be a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who refuses all advice. See, often verse 13 is left out when that passage read. But what Solomon is saying is this. Kings and individuals who are at the top of their performance level, who have their life all together, need to heed Counsel from other people. We need other people in our lives because sin separates and isolates. This is what it does. Uh, Proverbs 18 verse 1 is as good an illustration of what happens in the life of the person who isolates himself. It says this, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He seeks out what he wants. He breaks out against all sound judgment. So if you are sitting here and you are not connected to community, if you do not have other people speaking into your life, if you do not have other people loving you, encouraging you, and you likewise investing in others, the scripture says you're breaking out, you're arguing against all sound judgment. We need other people in our lives. You know, a study of the animal kingdom. Anybody in here remember Mutual Omaha's Wild Kingdom? Anybody remember that? All right. I remember that well. And all you young people who don't uh, remember that, just go YouTube it. You can go find it. But what happens is illustrated all the time is some little gazelle would get separated from the pack. And they're nervous. They get separated from the pack. And they'd wander off to a 
you know, look like just a little greener grass. And a little bit of isolation breeds what? Opportunity for the enemy, for the predator. What does 1 Peter 5, 8 says? Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Predators prey on the isolated. Don't get isolated. Get in community. Number three, joining a small group will help you reclaim some of what was lost in the fall. Now, there's a lot in this passage that I'm going to refer to, and I'm not going to be able to unpack it all, but I want to show you quickly from the book of Genesis. Turn back there to Genesis chapter 11. In Genesis 11, we see the story of the Tower of Babel. But the Babelites, before their language is confused, have very clear objective, and it's found in verse 3. This is what they say. Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they made brick for stone and bitumen for mortar, and they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top into the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. There are three things that are mentioned here that they were seeking. They said, come, let us build a city. Now, building a city meant this, let's build a community. They said, come, let us build a tower. Now, what were towers built for? Towers were built for security so you could see approaching enemy. And the third thing that they were seeking was a name. But notice carefully what was, say, what was said here. Come, let us make a name for what? Ourselves. Uh-oh is the right response. See, and this is what we do. But we, and we lose sight that we were made for so much more than a life of our simple setting down our own uh, security, our own little community, our own little life. You were made to glorify God. You were made for so much more, to point others to him, to find meaning beyond your current circumstances, which will surely change. And Jesus is not interested. Contrary to popular opinion, Jesus is not interested in being your feel-good, your, your, your feel-good savior. Your ideal circumstance savior. No, he has made, he, he's made you to be living for so much more. Living for his glory, for his good, for, for you to be transformed. Not to do life on your own, but to do life with others. Jesus is not interested in being the savior that just comes along and makes circumstances ideal for you. No. He wants to be your unstoppable king. Where he is glorified in you, where he reigns in your life, and there is none occupying the throne of your life other than him. Sometimes we think 
to ourselves that we're not going to do something just simply because the reality is we don't see the benefit. If life is going pretty good for you right now, sometimes it's hard to really see the benefit. After all, we have dynamic worship. We have a very comfortable facility. We have some good conversations that happen on Sunday morning. You can go back in archives and learn. We have materials in the lobby. It can be pretty sweet and pretty comfortable and pretty Americanized. But all of us know that 15 years ago today that the enemy comes calling to our shores eventually. And so when I say to you, we're not a church that just does small groups, we're a church of small groups, that has some meaning behind it, and some of you know what that means. So this is not really new for many of you. But hear me. You may have tuned out, but come back to me just for, just for a couple more minutes. This might be, this might be brand new to you, and here it is. I'm convinced heaven is going to be a mighty strange place if you don't discover community among believers now. Small group is a place for community. You need it. And so do I. You need it like the air that you breathe and the water that you drink. You don't need it just once. You need it over and over like you need water and air over and over and over again. And you may not be in one, but you do need one. And I might not convince you today, but I'm going to ask God to do what only God can do. And that is to give you a desire that you've never had. To drive out to a strange community and park in front of a strange house. But it won't be strange for long. And walk in and meet some strangers who will love you and care for you. And connect with you and you with them. There was a question from an interviewer on PBS that was addressed to the national uh, president for the National Institute of Mental Health. And Heath Lambert shared this with us uh, a couple years ago. He, he reported this. Uh, he was asked this question, how do you help people? Now here the president is for the National Institute for Mental Health. And this is what he said on PBS. We cannot help people. We give people drugs and we minimize their symptoms. People need meaning in their life. And they need good relationships. Small group is a path for that to happen for all of us. And I want to encourage you, whether you're in Fort Thomas, whether you're here, that you find your way, if you have not, to a small group. There are people that will love you and care for you. Would you pray, pray with me this morning? Now, before I pray, I want to ask you where you sit to do some searching, to ask God to help you, help you have the courage 
to find the right group. Maybe build some connection that you've never had. And maybe you've sat here this today and you know what it's like to have gone to a group and there's been some disappointment. And right where you sit today, I want to ask you with God that disappointment from the past be set aside. That this be a new day for you. New day. Connected to community, growing and changing, you helping others and others helping you. The unstoppable life is a life filled with the Holy Spirit in you and you with other people. Father God, we need to grow and we need your help to grow. We need your help to take down our guards. We need your help to help others. We need your help to be loving. We need your help. And it only happens through Jesus. It only happens because our Savior laid down his life. He was alone so that we didn't have to be. Thank you. Oh, God, thank you. Lord, thank you that you've not intended us to live in isolation. Away from other people. Help us, Lord, to move toward one another. To live in unity. And to love one another. Guide us to the right groups. Guide us to make things right with people that we need to make things right with. Help us is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.